Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Welcome into the last show of the year. Welcome into the last show of the decade. That's right. 2019's closing it out and we're doing it in style with a jazz win and a college football game tonight. Alamo Bull, it's the Utes and it's Texas and Utah's favored by seven points. The over-under is 55. They don't expect anything outrageous. If you do the math on this, the the odds makers in Vegas expect Utah to win about 31-24. And I think uh, you fans would sign off on that right now. I think I would. I think Kyle Whittingham would. There is a kind of a wild card element here. The Utes defensive backfield is beat up. Missing three guys. Jalen Johnson is going to the pros. They had a couple injuries in the conference title game. And Texas throws the ball. 3,500 yards passing. It's the Big 12. They throw it a lot. They score a lot of points. So you really don't want to be shorthanded in the secondary. Kyle Whittingham loves to say, no one cares about your problems. 80% of the people don't care, and 20% are glad you have them. He also says 92% of all stats are made up on the spot. But he's on to something there. Now, Texas has got their own issues. They're changing coordinators, so nobody knows how these coordinators are going to click with these players, how much changes are going to be in what Texas did. Andy Ludwig and Morgan Scally both had press conferences down there, and Andy at his talked about, hey, we watch a lot of film and do our homework, but what does it really mean? How much of the scheme is going to change? Just going to have to figure it out as the game evolves, figure out what they're doing. And, of course, what they do will be impacted by time and score. It always is. So uh, there, there's some wild cards going into this stuff. It's unpredictable. I would think the Utes come out with fire because the seniors want to play. If they don't want to play, they got a built-in excuse. Six, seven, eight of them could say, hey, I'm going to the NFL and I don't want to risk injury. The fact that they are playing suggests they want to play and that they will play hard. Is that a guarantee? No, but it's what I expect. Um so we got that. Uh, we got more on the football coming up here in our uh, next segment. Uh, we'll be hearing from the Texas Longhorns beat writer for the Athletic, Kalen Jones. Uh, as for the Jazz, they beat Detroit. They should beat Detroit. They were at home. It wasn't a back-to-back. The Jazz rested, and Detroit's a bad basketball team. And the Jazz didn't play great in the first half, but it was low scoring, which I like. If you're not going to play great. I trust you more. I trust the Jazz more to get on track in a game that's 40 to 39, which this one was, than in a game that's 60 to 59. Because then I'm thinking you're not really into it. You're not really trying. You're not really defending. Here you're trying. You're defending at least well enough. Maybe they aren't shooting it well, but you aren't giving a bunch of layups, dunks, and free throws because they make those. And it's close and you figure it out on offense. And actually, going back to the the 97, 98 years, Stockton, Hornacek, Malone, just their prime, you know, Carl's getting MVPs and all that. They were in a lot of close games at halftime and blew a lot of teams off the floor in the third quarter. And I really came to the theory that, you know, teams will throw a wrinkle at you and they'll try to do something different and they'll really come hard and you'll take everybody's best shot. But the fact is you're better. And by halftime, the other guys are at altitude and they're a little tired, they're a little demoralized because they've done everything they can and they can't open up any kind of lead in the game, and you solve whatever problems they're throwing at you, and then you blow them off the floor and win in the third quarter. And I thought that's what the Jazz did last night. They weren't playing great. They weren't scoring. They did finish quarter strong. 6 nothing to end the first quarter, which kept them in the game. They're only down 2 8-2 to two to end the second quarter. They're only down one at the half. And, man, when they came out, I thought those first six minutes of the third quarter, that was great. They really played well. 
I don't want to oversell it because Detroit's a bad team. But when you outscore somebody 16-2 to over six minutes, you're doing something right. And the Jazz never let Detroit back in the game. Pistons didn't get closer. I think it was seven. It was as close as they got the rest of the way. And they never had a chance to win it late. It was a 20-point game. And, you know, Donovan Mitchell didn't have to play 39 minutes. That's a major positive. As they These next two, three weeks, they, they're only going to play one team with a winning record here over about a 10-game stretch. I think January 20th is the next time they got a team with a winning record, with the possible exception of Brooklyn, who's bouncing around right at 500. Uh, we were talking about this yesterday, and they were a game over, and they lost in overtime to Minnesota last night, so now they're back to 500. That's the best team on the schedule here in this 10-game stretch. The Jazz are now 21-12. and 12. They're nine games over 500, and I would expect over these, let's see, as they get to the midpoint of the season, what would be realistic? 20, maybe they lose a game here. they got a lot of road games, and so even these teams aren't very good. might be decent at home and get a game. But 27 and 14, 28 and 13, 20, if they just go on a win streak here, then 29 and 12 is the best they can do. I would certainly think that the goal should be 27, if not 28. They really shouldn't lose much. Now, they do go on the road for the next three. We'll see how this shakes out. But Chicago's bad at Orlando. Orlando's bad. Orlando just lost to Atlanta. Atlanta's horrible. The Jazz just lit them up. And then they go to New Orleans. They do see New Orleans twice in like 10 days here. It's a weird deal. They got a three-game road trip. They're home for a couple. They got on another three-game road trip, and both the road trips end in New Orleans. Weird bit of scheduling there. Not sure I know what's going on there, but New Orleans isn't doing well either. So the Jazz should rack up some wins. They got the one last night. They should get. They, uh, they won big, and that's what they had to do, and they got it done. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, Kalen Jones, beat writer for the Texas Longhorns, writing for The Athletic. PK and I are talking Alamo Bowl with him next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Come join the Zone in ARUP Thursday from noon to 3 at ARUP Blood Services on 9786 South 500 West. Come save a life and donate some blood. It only takes 30 minutes and you'll receive a Megaplex gift card, popcorn voucher, and jazz gear. PK, we know you love to dismiss the importance of bowl games. Teams are shorthanded. Sometimes coaches are gone. Sometimes guys who are headed to the NFL are gone. And so the teams, yeah, you got the logo, but you don't really have the team. Having said that, USC getting smoked by Iowa was not a good look for the Pac-12. Washington State losing to Air Force wasn't good. Washington did beat Boise State. Uh, I guess the question is how many Pac-12 teams are going to show up and win. And You really only repair the conference's, uh, the conference's reputation by going to the playoff and then winning playoff games once you're there. But all they can do right now is win their bowl games this offseason. And, man, USC got drilled. Okay, tell me how this works. SC finishes at best third in the conference, and they get a team that's ranked and has won nine games. Utah finished second in the conference, and they get a team that's won seven games. That's a joke. It's not a fair fight. Yes, and I think it has, uh, and we can ask our next guest about this, I think it has something to do with uh, the politics of Texas and Texas A&M 
and their rivalry splitting up, and they didn't want to play. And would Texas have gone to Houston to play A&M, and then Oklahoma State shows up in the Alamo Bowl? Maybe that would have been a different deal because Oklahoma State's better than Texas. Uh, maybe that would have upgraded it a little bit. Well, whatever, but SC gets hosed, and they get beaten, and then it's more Clay Helton sucks. Meanwhile, Utah, which finished with a better record, I realize they lost, but they finished with a substantially better record. They play a seven and five team. That just doesn't make any sense to me. Texas is seven and five, bolstered a little bit by the fact they have played three top ten teams, so you would expect them to lose those games. Uh, but there are a couple other games in there that they lost that uh, make you think they're just not all that. Kalen Jones. Texas Longhorns writer for The Athletic. Joining us now on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. He's on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest to you. Kalen, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? We're good. And we are curious. How good is Texas? Because it looked like they might be good early in the season. They were 4-1. and one. The loss was to LSU. It was certainly respectable. But they lost two of the last three, three of the last five. What happened the second half of the season? Oh, man. Well, I mean, that's a good question. I think te- Texas, you know, t- in terms of talent, they probably should have been a top 15, you know, fringe top 10 team just in terms of the talent that they possess. But, you know, as you mentioned, like, they started off the season hot. Their offense looked extremely good, helped them, you know, hang in there with LSU, who's now playing a national title. But um, over the second half of the season, the offense lost its firepower. I mean, this, the defense was always going to be a question mark. They were replacing eight uh, defensive starters from a season ago. They lost their number one pass rusher in Charles Menehue. And, you know, it, it was going to be a problem, especially once the injuries started taking a toll on their defense. However, you know, that being said, um, there was no real signs of great improvement. There were signs over the last couple games that the defense might, you know, be heading in the right direction, but they were still struggling really mightily. And, you know, coupled with the fact that the offense just began, you know, struggling with this fit of inconsistency over the past six games, especially when you talk about uh, the passing game and Sam Ellinger being affected by, you know, an offensive line that, relinquished 33 sacks and then just his own you know inability sometimes to get rid of the ball on time contributed to that and receivers just being unable to you know get separation downfield there's just a culmination of factors and coaches talked about that a lot and what played a role in texas struggling over the final stretch of the season but you know again like i said like when they're at their best and they've you know players and coaches have expressed it before they feel like they can hang with anybody in the country i mean you look at the one loss or excuse me one score losses to both lsu and oklahoma this year but you know when the problem is texas got in its own way a lot throughout the year all right, so when you look at this matchup, they haven't run the ball that well. Their leading rusher doesn't even have 750 yards, and Ellinger thrown for 3,500, and they got a receiver at 1,300. And Utah has historically been very difficult to run the ball against, and this year it seems to be the case. So is it going to be a situation where Texas, if they're going to have success offensively, is going to be through the air? Well, yeah, that's where they're going to have to find success. As you mentioned, yeah, Texas just has not been able to run the football with, you know, any type of effectiveness. You know, in 2018, excuse me, um, they, I believe they finished within the top 10 of Power 5 school in terms of rushing attempts. This year, they finished, I believe, 57. So, 
and just their identity as an offense has completely changed and it's shifted. Luckily, you know, the Longhorns do both Sam Ellinger. They're expected to get Colin Johnson, who's a star senior uh, receiver, was on the cusp of getting a 1,000 yards last year. And then, as you mentioned, they have a 1,000-yard receiver in Devin Duvernay, who led the country in receptions. Um, so they'll be able to manufacture some production out of the passing game, but it, that is provided they're able to protect the quarterback. You know, Bradley Anai is one of the best you know, defensive lineman in the country. Uh, you know, Utah's front three, excuse me, linemen are, are considered, you know, probably the best in the country, or at least, a, you know, up there in terms of elite groups. So it's going to be tough sledding for Texas. I, I don't know what, you know, to expect really, just because, again, they, they've been so inconsistent over this, you know, final stretch of the year after looking so sharp early on. So you talked about the uh, defense was always going to be a work in progress because they had to replace so many guys. But at the end of the year when they're losing games, Iowa State 23-21, Baylor 24-10, those, those don't look like bad defensive performances. Utes are going to want to run the ball. Do you think Moss is going to have a big game running the ball against them? You know, I've been contemplating that because when you look at what Texas was able to do against, you know, Chuba Hubbard at the beginning of the season, or excuse me, in week four against Oklahoma State, you know, holding him to his season low in terms of rushing, um, you know, that, that's a positive performance. And Texas's defense is designed, you know, primarily to stop, you know, they, to perform well against rushing offenses. That's one of the top principles that Todd Orlando, who's now the fire defense coordinator, that, that was number one in terms of his principles and goals for what he tries to accomplish defensively. So there's a chance that Texas can hang in there and, you know, provided that they're able to hold their own at the line of scrimmage. And Texas has a lot of depth along the defensive line. I think linebacker is still an issue. But, you know, in terms of holding their own, I, I mean, unless they allow Zach Moss to get on the edge consistently and out in the space, um, then they could have some issues. But um, I, I think that, you know, Zach Moss, just in terms of volume, will probably rush for 150 yards. But it's comes down to how effective those, that yardage is and how meaningful it is in terms of you know being efficient and helping Utah get down the field. Uh, I think that it's going to be you know a little bit closer of a game than it's probably being projected as right now. Why does uh, why does Herman fire both the coordinators? Well, offensively, you know he wanted someone who's able to call plays. Tim Beck, he had to, he reassigned Tim Beck and to uh, being the quarterback's coach through the bowl game, you know, primarily because he, you know, unfortunately Herman had to have his hand involved in so much of the play calling, and it took away from his ability to be more of a CEO-type coach. He wants to establish relationships with players. He talks about that all the time and, you know, how important that is. And there were reports of dysfunction within the locker room, I mean, throughout the middle of the season. And, you know, young guys having to be on the same page with the older guys who understood how important the season was. And, you know, he Herman wants to be able to, you know, manage all of that in addition to having, you know, someone who he can entrust with maximizing the offense and putting his team in the best position possible. And then defensively, you know, even as you mentioned, Texas looked improved over the last four games defensively. There were definitely signs, you know, of improvement. Um, I don't know how encouraging that was. But, you know, that being said, uh, when we asked Herman, you know, why he decided to fire Todd Orlando, considering how, you know, defense had you know, shown some signs of improvement through the last little bit, 
uh, he said that, you know, over the past two years, the Longhorns are ranked, you know, amongst the worst in several important offensive, or excuse me, several important defensive categories. And, you know, it, it just, at the end of the day, he just didn't see enough improvement. He needs, you know, someone who he can trust to maximize the potential and the talent that he has available. Todd Orlando's scheme, which involves a three-down front, uh, really doesn't tap into that defensive line depth that I mentioned earlier. And, you know, that being said, it's a really complicated scheme. You know, players and coaches called, hailed Todd Orlando as being a defensive genius just a season ago. But that being said, it's too complicated for younger guys who are just getting into the system and being drawn into the fray so early in their career. Kalen Jones joining us, Texas Longhorns writer for The Athletic. There's certainly been a lot of talk lately about uh, teams that want to be in bowl games, teams that don't want to be there. Ute fans remember the Sugar Bowl. Alabama famously didn't want to be there after they lost the game. How motivated is Texas for this game? How much is, is a disappointing season? They just want to be done with it and move on? And how much are they looking like, hey, we win this, get an eighth win, and it launches us into the offseason, and they're highly motivated. So a lot of the defensive guys talk about, you know, Todd Orlando firing definitely giving them some motivation. You know, they, they want to prove that, hey, like, you know, we're, we're good enough when they play at the, you know, their highest level. Offensively, I think there is something to prove there, too, because you have so many senior contributors. Um, you know, and then the Longhorns are headed by Captain uh, Sam Ellinger, who is a natural competitor. And, you know, one of the things that I've told fans a lot is that, when you watch Texas on film, it's not uh, for a lack of effort. You know, I wouldn't say that there's ever been really a point where the team has looked checked out. I would say that it's just a matter of execution and, you know, again, play calling and being put in a position to succeed. Um, I, I think that Texas you know, is going to show some fight in this one, especially when you consider the fact that it's a home game, essentially. You're an hour away from your home campus and you're going to have some semblance of a home field advantage. Um, and, you know, again, just like last year, I, I won't compare it on the same level as winning a New Year's, New Year's Six Bowl game, but you're playing a, a highly ranked opponent who's pretty talented. And I, I think if you look at Texas, they have a chance to prove, hey, this is what they're capable of when they're playing at their best. And, you know, they, they have a real opportunity to do that once again. You know, a lot of the players say that they pride themselves on putting their best foot forward. So I think that you know, that's their motivation going in. I don't think that we checked out at all for this matchup. How about Texas fans? How checked in are they going to be? <laughs> that's a good question. I mean, they're definitely interested just because, you know, it's Texas football. You know, diehard Texas fans are going to be checked, you know, checked into the matchup. You know, it's not a New Year's Six Bowl game. It's, you know, there's definitely some disappointment there that Texas didn't end up you know, reaching the, the goals and the heights that were expected of the program this year. But, again, like, it's, it's going to be a pretty good matchup. I mean, typically the Alamo Bowl, I think they, the, their social team threw out a stat, I think, early in the month that I think the past five matchups have been decided by four points or fewer. So I, I don't see how this contest ends up being anything different. I think it should end up being a really good game. So – I read a little bit, but it wasn't fully explained in what I read, and maybe you can fill us in. Was there a chance that Texas wasn't going to be in the Alamo Bowl, that they were going to end up playing Texas A&M, where there's some politics there that maybe impacted which Big 12 team ended up where? <laughs> uh, I mean, if, if Texas had been offered it, I'm sure they would have you know, 
strongly considered it, but again, there, there's been a rift between Texas and Texas A&M leadership, um, you know, over the past you know year or so. Ever since Texas A&M ended up in the SEC, so I really doubt it was likely or ever even a real possibility that Texas would have played A&M in the Texas Bowl. Um, but you know, that being said, I, I think that they'd much rather have played you know Utah as opposed to. Uh, a and M opponent this year. We saw Utah really get beat up in the trenches against Oregon, which is something that doesn't happen. I mean, it hardly ever happens. That was the big story in the Pac-12 title game as they got beat up. So you talk about Texas having some incentive. I think Utah up front on both sides of the ball, but particularly on uh, offense to make sure that they – go ahead and play the way the way they're supposed to play. How do you think defensively Texas is going to be able to handle the trenches against Utah's offense? Yeah, so like like I mentioned earlier, I think Texas has pretty good defensive line depth. Um, the issue is, you know, they, they have their schematics don't really allow them to maximize that. And their their defense will end up being deployed in the same 3-3-5 you know, formation that they've been using before. So now you only have three down linemen going up against a really, really stout and talented Utah offensive line. Um, I think that could end up being an issue. But, you know, that being said, you know, Texas has shown that they can hold their own against talented running backs throughout the season. There's just been inconsistent play. And, you know, Utah definitely has an advantage. You know, I'm definitely uh, aware of that. It's just that... I think that, you know, if Texas plays at the level that it's capable of playing, then, you know, it'll be a much, you know, different conversation as opposed to saying Utah's going to, you know, run all over them for about 300 yards. I think that, you know, the possibility that Zach Moss certainly is going to find success. You know, I've been watching him for four years because I used to cover Arizona State at the Pac-12. So I'm definitely familiar and aware of what Utah's capable of. Um, just that being said, I've seen Texas too play when you know it's playing consistently well. Is pretty good at slowing down the run, so we'll see. The Utes' best cornerback is a junior and is leaving for the NFL early and will not play in the bowl game. Normally, I think it'd be a lock; he'd be locked up on Duvernay, who's got almost thirteen hundred yards receiving. And now it'll be interesting to see how the Utes handle this now because uh, we don't really have any anything to go on. Uh, Duvernay, speed threat, uh, good at going over the middle. Did he throw him a lot of short stuff and try to get him one-on-one and just stiff-arm the corner and throw him to the ground? What, what do they do with him? How, how has he gotten to 1,300 yards? <laughs> well, it's a very, very high-volume position that he was transitioned over to. He started his career um, on the outside, and Texas is kind of an X or Z role. Um, but they moved him over to the slot this year in the H. Uh, the year before, Lil Jordan Humphrey, who ended up leaving early, he he ended up uh, leading the team in receiving and went over a thousand yards last year. Um, so it's it's just a high volume position, especially for this year. The way that Texas got Duvernay the ball was a lot through the RPO actions um, on a lot of bubble screens. You mentioned over the middle; that's really where he thrives when going downfield. Uh, Duvernay isn't the sharpest route runner, but he's very solid. Uh, once he, after the catch, he's extremely effective too. Like in terms of straight line speed, uh, this is a guy who ran a ten-two-seven hundred-meter dash uh, when he was back in high school. So he has elite speed, and you put couple that with you know very 
incredible strength considering he's only like 5'9", 5'10", 210 pounds. Um, he's a very strong player. And so and the way that he's been able to, you know, beat opponents is with the speed going downfield, and a lot of his successes come after the catch. So as long as, you know, Utah is making tackles in space and, you know, closing him down at the line of scrimmage, they should have a pretty decent time slowing him down. It'll just be the weapons on the outside that they'll really have to be concerned about. So you say you covered Arizona State. What was it like to cover the next college football powerhouse in the Sun Devils? <laughs> oh, man. That, it was fun. It was definitely fun. Uh, you know, like I, I tell the guys here at Texas, you know, they, they just have a lot of access where you be able to talk to anybody. And, you know, the team itself was very, very interesting to cover because the last year I was there was during Todd Graham's final year. Um, when they transitioned over to Herm Edwards. So it, it was completely different experience from covering Texas, obviously. But, you know, it, it was definitely a great time. I, I actually missed it. I can't even lie. <laughs> Full disclosure, PK. Go ahead and tell him. Uh, I figured you would. <laughs> PK's a sun devil. <laughs> ah. <laughs> there you go. Loves all things. Feel the fork! Loves all things ASU. Yeah, I'm gonna. I, it's gonna be tough, but I'm gonna drive over. I'm in San Antonio now. I'm gonna drive over for the Sun Bowl and then make it back in time for kickoff in San Antonio. Oh wow! <laughs> Just kidding. Good luck to you, man. <laughs> all right. Well, Galen, we appreciate a little bit of your time. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you at the Alamo Bowl. Of course, guys. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. There's Kalen Jones, beat writer for The Athletic, covering the Texas Longhorns, getting his thoughts on the Alamo Bowl tonight. PK in San Antonio. We've got more coming up on the Alamo Bowl uh, in the 7 o'clock hour. Stay with us. We're going to take a break. When we come back, all the uh, post-game interviews, the best of the Jazz post-game on the way as the Jazz get the win over the Detroit Pistons. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Utah Jazz beat the Detroit Pistons 104-81. to A one-point game at halftime. The Jazz blow it open in the first five or six minutes of the third quarter, and they run away and hide. Jordan Clarkson continues to score off the bench. Another 20 points for him. That was a big lift. I, I think you're thinking I like the Jazz now. They've been good defensively, and they did sacrifice some defense this year, but Donovan Mitchell's averaging 25 points a game. Clarkson's now giving him points off the bench for the 20-point game. And Ingles or Bogdanovich can give you 20. Now, last night, Ingles gave you 10 and Bogdanovich 17. You're not going to have all those guys in 20 points every night, but they can ham and egg it a little bit. Donovan Mitchell does it every night. And the other guys fill in, and so they usually have two 20-point scores. And the points are coming a little easier for the Jazz. We'll see if they keep defending here. 
because they got a long stretch of games that shouldn't be that hard, and you just wonder if they'll lose focus and interest and think it's easy and fall into some bad habits. It's easy to do. We've seen different – go back to Stockton and Malone era jazz and go back to Carlos Boozer, Darren Williams uh, era jazz. It happens. It's human nature. All right, let's get to the best of the postgame show. Your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Jazz win last night over the Detroit Pistons, 104-81. They were led by Donovan Mitchell, who had 23 points. Jordan Clarkson with 20 points coming off the bench. Rudy Gobert last night, 13 points, 19 boards, 3 Block shots as the Jazz really struggled in the first half, but then uh, came out gangbusters in the second half, scoring 29 points in the third quarter, 36 points in the fourth quarter to win this one going away. Let's get you some post, a post-game sound. Let's start with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. I think it was later in that third quarter when Jordan checked in and you guys were kind of, it was falling back a little bit and he came in and hit that three. It kind of turned things around for you. Did it feel that way from your side? Yeah, I think, as you mentioned, we, you know, we started the quarter really well. And there's always going to be, you know, lulls in the game. And, you know, that's one of the things that, that we know he's capable of doing. And I, I think he picked his spots, too. Um, and guys did a good job of finding him. And um, he's capable of, you know, I, I think he did that in the Clipper game as well in, in a different way. But, um, you know, that's something that, that, that he brings. Obviously, holding them to 81 points, only 14 three-point attempts tonight. How big of a part of your defense is preventing that three-point shot? Well, it was really important tonight because they shoot it so well, especially the corner three. And I think they only had three corner threes. Um, and I, I believe they lead the league in corner threes in percentage. So uh, it was important. And I think a lot of that, you know, Rudy did a really good job staying in front of Drummond. Um, Drummond's really good at kicking out and finding people too. So we had a couple breakdowns where they, they got a couple. Um, but for the most part, that was an awareness. And our guys did a good job not getting sucked in on penetration. Ryan, was that first half just, it kind of seemed like you were settling for a lot of, maybe not settling, but even they were kind of no. forcing you a lot of mid-rangey type yeah. stuff. What, what, well, no one, what no one likes mid-range shots anymore. That's yeah. like, it's become a... Uh, the whole world wants to avoid the mid-range and sometimes the mid-range is a good thing when it's an open look there's other times um, like it was in the first half um, you know when it doesn't if you if you shoot the ball without a pass it doesn't allow you to have other things unfold whether it's you know Rudy to get behind the defense and get a chance for an offensive rebound um, and a lot of it has to do with some subtleties um, you know when you got a guy that's drumming size back there um, but he's backing up and trying to get to Rudy to take something away. Suddenly you're, you're presented with that shot. And I think it takes a little time um, for guys to, to feel that. And, you know, those Jordan had one in the first half that, that was great. He kept his dribble alive. And suddenly, it, you know, it's, it's not a long two, you know, but it's something at the rim. And, um, again, we can get on the offensive glass. So, um, you know, it has a lot to do with, with angles and how we're attacking. And there's some subtleties that... You know, I think our guys have really worked on and we've done a good job with. Um, and I thought we adjusted to that as the game went on, too. There's uh, Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder after his team won 104-81 over the Detroit Pistons. Let's now take you into the locker room. Let's start things off with Donovan Mitchell. 
Um, I think the biggest thing, first off, we hit shots. You know, I think um, we continue to get stops throughout the entire game, but just continue to be aggressive, uh, running in transition, being more active on the defensive end. Um, I think we gave up 18 points in about what 30, uh, 18 points in that whole quarter. So just continue to be more active, and then allowed us to get out in transition. What are those conversations like? Uh, you know, in, at halftime when you're going against a drop big defense, a yeah. two-three zone. We weren't. Uh, we just a lot of it. We kind of were kind of um, indecisive. You know, just being aggressive and just going. You know, at the end of the day, we got the looks. We wanted. We continued to kind of got a little stagnant, but then once we started moving the moving around, moving the ball, and then I had to root in the lob, and then you get Joe with three, and then you get Royce with three, and then you get myself with the rim. You know, there's different things that that opened it up for us. How important was Jordan getting that stuff going? Huge. Uh, Man, he's been everything we thought he was going to be um, these, these past three games. You know, he's a guy just go out there. You know what you're going to get. You know, he's going to attack the rim. He's been aggressive, making the right reads. You know, like I said, he's learning all this on the fly and still playing well. So that's that's tough to do. Um, and he's making the most of it. I'm, I'm really, I think we're all glad to have him uh, for sure. And he's going to continue to, to do more as he becomes more comfortable within the offense. Have you been um, I didn't really know much about him on the defensive end, so I can't really say like I was surprised because it's not like I didn't think he was good. But you know, he's like I said, he's he's learning. You know, he's continuing to to talk and you know find ways to like I said, get in get into the paint, get rebounds, you know, shift, you know, be able to go over screens, guarding Derrick Rose for stints, chasing the shooters. Like you know, I think that's one thing that's all that's really going to help a lot of us. You know, his intensity on the defensive end as well. They only took 14 threes, only made four. What's the key to being that good defensively on the Running them off the line. You know, they're, I think they were, what, second in percentage uh, in the league. So, like, I think that was a big emphasis for us. Um, having Rudy down there allows us to kind of play, have him play Drummond um, one-on-one, and then we just got to take away the shooters. We made that a big emphasis, and we executed. When you have teams in the half court when you're on <clears> defense, <throat> do you sense that you guys are dictating the terms a lot more often? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, the biggest thing in the first half was just the offense getting stagnant. We did what we wanted on defense, you know, I think – I don't know how many points they had to have to think like 42. Like that's that's not bad, you know. We didn't come in here like upset or anything. We we did what we were supposed to do. At the end of the day, we just missed some shots and we figured it on the offensive end and then turned it up to another level on the defensive end. With as well as this team has been playing, it's starting to look more like you thought you would at the beginning of the mm-hmm. year. Do you sense that this team even has a few more levels they can reach? For sure. I mean, not, we we haven't accomplished anything yet. You know, we've won a few games, but we have a lot more we can do and a lot more to improve on. There are stretches where we've kind of turned the ball over, made silly plays that we can definitely fix. Um, but yeah, we definitely have a few more levels we can get to for sure. But um, we'll, we'll take these wins. But we got a lot more we can do for sure. That was Donovan Mitchell, 23 points on 7 of 15 shooting. He also had three assists and a steal. Just one turnover last night for Donovan as he finished plus 21 in the uh, plus minus as well. Let's now let you hear from uh, Rudy Gobert. Track, you know, uh, so we, the record doesn't indicate how talented they are. I think they're very dangerous team. They're a very good three-point shooting team, and uh, we did a great job tonight. As you mentioned, they come in third most efficient shooting threes. Holden, the four makes just 14 attempts even. What, was, uh, what made you so successful there? I mean, the key, I think, was really for us to, for the guys to stay home and let me and whoever was going to pick and roll uh, try to play that two-on-two and uh, and then to get those balls. And, you know, all the guys did a great job coming in on the balls to get hits on the bigs. What changed offensively in the second half? I think the ball moved a little more, you know, and we got more stops and we were able to, to run on them. And, you know, when we do that and we attack the rim, it's, it's tough to guard. What has Jordan done so well to fit in so quickly? Put the ball in the basket. He's really bought into the defense first mentality of this team though as well. Yeah, you know, you can tell that he's really trying to compete and, you know, I try to help him out, you know, communicate with him and 
you know, every game is different and that's why I understand him, you know, it's, it's all about who you're guarding and no matter what, I'll be behind you. I was because it was a pretty early, you could tell he had the same mindset as this team about competing, working and, and trying to be great. Uh, I can feel that, you know, we we took a step forward and as the season goes on, we're going to keep getting better. But, you know, the last few weeks has been very, very good. The mindset is great and everyone is buying in. You know, everyone is trying to bring something to the table. And, and you know, when we do that, we all, we all, we all play good as a team. You're one of this team's biggest critics. Um, that's a really nice run to close out 2019. How pleased are you with where you guys are right now? I mean, I'm, I'm pleased. I'm pleased with the fact, I mean, obviously we, we won eight on the nice nine games and I'm pleased because I feel like you know we we have the right mindset and we I feel like we can get a lot better but at the same time I'm I like that we come out every night with a focus and and the mindset that we need to to, to win to win the game every night do you think this team is tougher than maybe the last two or three years I mean we, we've been tough since I got here but uh you know I feel like we we really have that pride and we always had it, but we, we didn't know how to put it together as a group and make it translate to the to the core. And I feel like right now it's happening. So I'm excited about the next few months. You said you feel like there's still room to improve. What, in your mind, uh, still still needs a little getting better? I think our defense can improve a lot. Obviously tonight we did a great job, but I still feel like you know we got to be able to do that every night and. When the other team makes a run, we gotta be able to, you know, to cut it short quicker, and uh, and offensively, you know, I feel like we, I mean, even though tonight we scored, I don't know how many points we scored, we, I feel like we can play a lot better, you know, especially in the first half. How are you the one selected to do the pregame address for New Year's? I didn't choose. I got forced to do it. <laughs> nah, uh, I mean, uh, they asked me to do it, and I was. Very happy to do it to show my my English. You know. Excellent. Guys, that's Rudy Gobert. Let's go back to you. Rudy Gobert, 13 points, 19 rebounds, three block shots, going head to head with Andre Drummond last night. Let's now let you hear from the newest Jazz man, Jordan Clarkson. He's talking to me. I'm trying to pick everything up as quick as possible and uh, just keep progressing. That third quarter run to get back into it. What were some specific things taking place out there? Uh, we was getting stops. Uh, we got some buckets in transition. Made the game easier for us. Everything with this team points to points to defense. You've learned that really quickly, haven't you? Oh uh, yeah. Every time we break a huddle, that's all we talk about. So um, we got a big emphasis on that, and um, you know I think that's where we we hold our hat on that. And uh, when we do those those things on defense end, it makes the offense so much easier. You've really fit in quickly with this group. Is there anything you can point to because of that? Um, no. I'm just coming in, just trying to listen and grow every day. Um, you know, I feel like we still got a lot of steps to take uh, to being, you know, complete. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm taking it day by day and just keep working. That terminology, talk about it so different on the defensive end. How has that been learning for you? And, and do you feel like that gives you, like, maybe an advantage that it's different than other teams? Or, you know, how, how do you look at that, I guess? Uh, yeah, I mean, if we get stops, the other team ain't scoring. If we score more points, we're going to win. <laughs> so, uh, <Good> advice. <laughs> um, definitely, uh, that's what we hold our hat on. At times on the offensive end where if there's any indecision, you're just attacking, and how often are there times where you're like, wait, what is, it, what is this play? Are there times where you're still analyzing what's happening? Uh, yeah, a lot of times on the court, you know, Donovan's doing a good job talking to me, Joe. 
uh, coach, everybody on the floor that's been here um, telling me where to go, directing me where to go when plays are happening, um, when we have calls, you know, after makes and even on misses, you know, telling me where to go and spots. That communication level, how is that compared to the other stops that you've had? Um, I mean, it's really good here. Uh, these guys have really done a good job um, of, you know, opening their arms and really, you know, kind of taking me in and just talking to me, staying in my ear because uh, I know they, they, they're really working and, you know, really playing for something. This team's had a really good taste the last three years. Can you tell how serious they are about graduating to the next level? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, every day in practice, preparation, uh, shoot-arounds, um, you know, it's uh, it's very serious, and, you know, we, we get into it. Guys, that's Jordan Clarkson. Let's go back to you. Jordan Clarkson with 20 points coming in off the bench, 7 of 13 shooting, 4 of 7 from 3. Just a terrific game already, making a huge impact on this Jazz team. They needed some help on the bench, and it uh, would appear that they've found it. Let's now let you hear from Boyan Bogdanovich. All right, what did you guys find offensively at the start of that third quarter to fuel that run? We kind of adjust their their zone defense. We we change couple couple set set offenses that allow us to to attack the rim and also to find to find guys in uh, in the corners for the for the wide open jumpers. How much momentum did Jordan give you with that three ball in the third quarter? I mean, whenever whenever he's in on the floor, he's giving us some amazing energy, both defensively, offensively. It's great to. To have that that type of guy on your, on your bench whenever he he came on to the court, you know what you what you're getting getting from him. So, like I say, he, he hit a couple couple trees. The the last one from the from the corner was was dagger one. For him to fit in as quickly as he has, is it just work ethic, determination, focus? Have you you know can you equate it to anything? I mean, when you when you're a good player, it's 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 really easy to to adjust, and also we have a simple simple offensive offensive set offenses, and then he's like I say, he's great great player, great guy, great energy. So even if 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 he don't know what we are running, he will he will give you he will give you energy every single night. You fit in with this team really well. It seemed like the mindset was there, a lot of the work that you put in. How long did it? Did you sense that it took for you to fit in the way you hoped to with this team? I mean, it's it's normal that always you'll need like a couple couple of weeks to to adjust. I was I was bad in, in in preseason. There I started to play a little bit better because I was I was in completely different different system. Jordan Jordan adjusted even 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 better better than me. So I hope that he gonna he gonna keep that same same attitude. How much do you feel like this team more times than not on the floor? Five thinking, moving, and feeling is one. And has that been a big reason for the wins? I mean, when we play defense like we like we played tonight, like less than 25 points every single quarter, it's it's gonna be tough for everyone to to beat, especially in our court. Detroit comes in as the third most efficient three-point shooting team in the league. You guys hold them to four, made threes. What did you do defensively to? Uh, you was right. That was that was big big time game plan for us before the, before the game. We limited them just 14 14 at attempts, so that means that we are all focused on, on the court and, and what we are doing. I mean, we were just trying to, to chase, pursue them on a, on a pin downs, and then, then Rudy, Rudy did a great job on the pick and roll, so we didn't, we didn't need it to, to be inside and help from, uh, from shooters. Guys, that's Boyan Bogdanovich. Let's go back to you. That was Boyan Bogdanovich, 6 of 15 shooting, 17 points, 4 rebounds, 
and to assist. The Jazz now uh, hit the road for a little three-game road trip uh, that starts coming up Thursday night uh, at Chicago. That game will tip off at 6 o'clock. Pre-game coverage right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone will begin at 5. There's the best of the post-game shows. The Jazz beat the Pistons. What is trending? Coming up next, stay with us.